You guys uh, that know me know I'm just just real and transparent and vulnerable behind this pulpit. And today's going to be a double dose of that. If you're a guest, just hold on. And when I come off the mission field, especially something like this, I tend to wax a little more philosophical than usual, so just bear with me. Uh, Let me preface what I'm about to be open and transparent about with this. The trip was an unbelievable, as you could see, success. Can we just give God glory for that? God showed up like I have rarely seen. He met with us in an amazing way. There were, there were hundreds of healings, salvations. We had... I didn't realize I was going to be able to minister like I did with those large groups. I thought I was going to be going house to house, which I did in the afternoons, but in the evenings they had set up crusades. Four nights out in the open your prayers are much appreciated because that was the part I was most nervous about Uh, out in the open they don't have a church building there's no church building and the the city that I was in is 200,000 people so we did they did four of them all over the city and it was amazing to watch the Muslims come in they would start they would start they would start on the, the roof the roofs of these uh, Middle Eastern homes are flat. And they would be up above us and they would be standing up there. You know, peering over, watching what was happening. And then they would eventually come down and come in and they themselves would then come up for prayer. It was unbelievable. Unprecedented. There was a man, a security officer, uh, the chief of police that was a part of my security detail that traveled with us everywhere a Muslim man who saw the power of God being poured out in these meetings and then one night after one of the meetings invited me and this group of co-pastors to go to his home and to pray for his sister who was sick invited us into their home another Muslim woman was there and she invited us to walk back to her home and her little boy was laying unable to walk he was just sick very 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 sick little boy there may have been a picture of that and I laid my hands on him and we prayed for healing and the next night I got word that he was up walking And no lie, I think I laid hands on every single man, woman, boy, and girl in Pakistan. <laughs> That's what it, what it felt like anyway. They, all of those people and those pictures that you saw, every one of them wanted prayer and me to lay my hands on them. And one night it was kind of funny. There were some, some boys that were probably nine or ten years old <laughs> when it came time for prayer. They just kept like scooting people out of the way. They kept coming back around and I would recognize them. I was like, I think I've already prayed for you. But I'd be like, all right, well, all right. You know, it was so funny. They just kept coming back and I just kept praying for them until it was all said and done. They welcomed me. You probably saw 
like royalty. It changed the way I think. You know, I know, I know we're, we're, we're living in a, in, you know, we, we think certain things about Muslims and we think, you know, and, and hello, I mean, we, we should. It's, Islam is dangerous in, in its core. But these are just people. Most, the vast majority, 99.9% are just people searching for truth. And it changed my heart and my mind about so many things. They welcomed me like royalty. They threw flowers. They made, it was pomp and circumstance. I mean, um, they put, you saw the lays around my neck. I mean, they, then they always had this huge couch sitting up on the stage. And then you come up and then they sit you on this couch and they put, you know, water down in front of you. It's a big deal. And I don't, I'm not comfortable with that. That's never been something I've been, it's just weird to me. So one night I said, Pastor Sammy, after one of the meetings, I was like, what's up with all of this, you know, this pomp and circumstance? And I said, I mean, when was the last time somebody came from the West and ministered? And he just looked at me like, said, for this group of Christians, never. You're the first. And I said, okay, just forget it. Y'all throw your stuff. Just do whatever you got to do. I'll, whatever. Let's, let's do it. It, it. it blew my mind. I realized that the greatest ministry there was just the physical presence of somebody that cared. They feel so isolated and alone because there's so few Christians there. And the fact that somebody, and they know they're living in a dangerous place, in a dangerous country. And for the fact of of, of just a church and, and the pastor being willing to come to them physically, a lot of folks were were asking me before I left, why don't we just we don't want you to go there. Why don't we just send the money that we raised for their orphanage and just let that be it? And I could not get released from actually physically going. And when I got there and saw how they responded and saw how they all wanted that physical touch, I knew, I knew, I knew. During the afternoons, I visited, you saw in the picture, some places that I would call sharecropping communities. These Muslim uh, masters, they called them, own these big properties with fields and brick kilns. And every, these were Christian community people, they, they would live on the property almost as slaves. And they would work the fields and make bricks. Work the fields and make bricks from morning to night. Every man, woman, boy, and girl would work from morning until night in almost a slave type of situation. And that's not the worst part. And I'm going to be careful with how I say this, but sometimes these owners, these masters, they call them, would come in and take the young girls. And I'm not going to say anything more. You understand. And that's why this orphanage, this Christian school was started, to get these girls and these kids out of that situation. And because of your faithfulness in giving and our faithfulness in going, we're helping that to continue and to get these kids out of that situation. And we can't leave them alone. We can't forget about them. You say, Pastor Allen, there's needs like that all over the world. Yes, there is. But this is the one that God put in our lap. And my God, we're going to be faithful. 
We're going to show up. And we're going to do our part. Because this is who God has asked us to minister to. Now, as you know, the plan was to pay the rent on the building for the orphanage, the Christian, really more like a Christian school, for the rest of the year, right? You remember that? We're going to pay the thing. But when I got there, I found out that they were eight months behind. And they were about to be evicted. Well, that's bad news, but the good news was I had exactly eight months worth of rent in my pocket that you raised, that you gave. (laughs) I met with these landlords and I had, listen, I had to meet with them three times because they thought I was the white, wealthy. They were trying to sell me property. They were going to build another school. They thought I could come in and just cut a check, you know, for the whole thing. And I I had to meet with them three times because I could not get it across to them. I am not a wealthy man. I'm a pastor representing a church. And the money that I have, which I never took out of my pocket until I knew I had the right paperwork. I wasn't going (laughs) to, I could just see me signing something and having property in Pakistan. (laughs) Until I knew for sure what it was that we were dealing with. It took three times. And finally, they realized, look, I'm taking care of these people. I'm not here for me. I'm here to make sure they have a school and an orphanage. And so I paid and got them all caught up and negotiated for the next eight months so they wouldn't bother them until we can raise more money and go back and do it all over again. Come on. But here's the part that I want you to know. And here's where the transparency comes in. Every good thing that happened there was purely, get me, purely by the grace and the mercy of God. You say, duh, pastor, duh. No, you don't understand. The Sunday that I left, you, Dr. Thomason, you prophesied over me and said that this would not be like a trip that I have ever been on before. I've been all over, if you're a guest, I've been all over this world on trips since I was 12 years old. And he said, this is not going to be like anything that you ever experienced before. And you will not be able to lean on your natural giftings and your natural talent. When I got on that plane two weeks ago, I was sick. I could barely talk, let alone sing or lead worship or do any of those things that I normally do on a trip like this. As I got on the plane and as that first leg, the first leg was 12 hours. First leg. And I was in coach. Thank you very much. It's crazy. I could feel myself getting sicker. I felt the fever come on. When I landed in Istanbul, Turkey is the layover, four hours. 
I went and laid down, found a, a, the quietest place I could find and on one of these benches and just laid down. I took my backpack and put it, I just hugged it like that because there were $6,000 in it. And I just hugged it and laid down and went to sleep. I could barely lift my head. Then I got on the next trek, which was six hours to finish my, but I was, I was laying there. I was thinking, how in the world, how in the world, God, am I going to do this? I can barely lift my head. Little did I know I was going into the most fierce spiritual battle of my entire life with absolutely nothing, nothing in the tank. See, I had been so focused on that last Sunday two weeks ago of the Unwrapped series where we talked about the filling of the Holy Spirit and I was so focused on that and praying about that and so concerned about that and hopeful for that and expect my expectations were all about that. I had actually pushed Pakistan on the back burner. How could you do that? I did that. Now, I don't, I don't, I'm not sorry that I poured everything into that service because God met us that day, didn't he? It was so powerful and so wonderful. But I poured my everything into those services and I got on the plane empty I got on the plane physically sick emotionally drained mentally spent and spiritually dry I was woefully unprepared for what I was about to walk into I dreadfully underestimated the spiritual darkness that I encountered. See, understand, there's only 1% Christian. 1% in Pakistan. How many know that believers and Christians are the temples of the Holy Spirit? We We know that, right? We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. But if there are no temples, the footprint of the church was so small and the the, 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 the rampant evil was so big I just was unprepared for that Satan's work there is almost unhindered do you understand? Do you, are you getting this? it's so hard for me to describe this to you it's almost unhindered because there is no footprint of the church I knew this I've taught you this remember behind enemy lines I said where there's no footprint of the church evil Manifest in greater ways? I said that to you. Well, there's a big difference between knowing it and experiencing it. But aren't you thankful that we serve a gracious, merciful God who loves His children with an unyielding, unstoppable love That even when we don't deserve it, even when we are stupid and even when we are unprepared, he still comes through for us if we trust him. Come on, somebody. I want to tell you something. My God is faithful. His grace 
is enough. You may be in the middle of something today and you're thinking, how in the world did I get in this? How did I end up here? That's exactly the way I was thinking, laying in that airport in Turkey thinking, dear God in heaven, I can't do this. I can't even lift my head. God, what am I going to do for the next six days as I'm expected to pour myself out for these people? They are expected. They are waiting. We've been planning this. What am I going to do? I can't even lift my head. And God said to me, you can't, but I can. He gave me a verse that I lived on, that I breathed on, that I, (laughs) second Corinthians 12, nine, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. So that's what I'm doing right now. That's why I'm being vulnerable and transparent. I am boasting about my weakness because I want the power of Christ to rest on me. Is anybody else with me this morning? Come on. Hallelujah. Sometimes we have to come to the end of ourselves for God to move. Sometimes we have to lay down what we think we know for God to use us. Sometimes we have to simply humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and trust him. Sometimes, listen to this, we have to stop trying to manufacture a move of God and just get out of the way. And that's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to give a short lesson and get out of the way. And we're going to prepare our hearts for next Sunday morning because we need to be ready. I I wasn't ready for what I faced, but I'm not going to make that mistake again. We need to be ready for next Sunday morning. If you rely on me or the band or the praise team to lead the people into worship, shame on you. These folks that come into here are far from God and we need to be ready to lead them in worship, not from up here, but from out there. I want everybody to prepare themselves spiritually for what happens next Sunday morning. And that's what this is about. Today is Palm Sunday. Today we celebrate when Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and the people lining the streets waved palm branches and shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Have you ever wondered how that crowd who were worshiping, shouting Hosanna, and less than a few, just a few days later were shouting crucify him? If we can answer that question of why, We can know about true worship. We can find out what it means to truly worship the Lord. Is anybody interested in that? I think we need to understand that and begin practicing. You could practice worship? Absolutely. We're going to begin practicing this morning. We're going to begin preparing our heart this morning. And I'm asking you to do it every single day leading up to next weekend. I'm going to be in John 12 starting with verse 1. You can follow along on the screen or open there in your Bible. 
Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served. How many remember unwrapped? Martha was a server. She was doing her thing. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. The house was filled with worship. I want you to get the picture of what's happening. You had this chaotic scene. It wasn't a nice, solemn thing like we have this morning, quiet service. It was a chaotic scene. The house was bustling. You know, Martha's serving. She gets irritated at Mary for not helping her. How many know the story? You know, she's doing her thing. She's cooking. She's serving. We got people talking and visiting. We got people trying to get into the house because it's crowded. They want to see Lazarus who was raised from the dead. You got all this going on. And then you have Mary bust up the middle. Get out of my way. I'm trying to do something meaningful here. She gets down on her knees and she breaks open the bottle of expensive perfume. Once you break something, you can't take it back. She broke it out, all of it, and poured out onto his feet, and then she wiped his feet with her hair. Verse 4, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Look at the screen. Extravagant worship will attract criticism. That was weak. Extravagant worship will attract criticism. If you want to become an extravagant worshiper of Jesus, just get ready. Because they will criticize. They're going to say, that's distracting. That's just a little much. They need to tone it down a little bit. Well, I'm sorry. If you want to become an extravagant worshiper, you can't be real quiet when you do that. The things when you do when you become an extravagant worshiper are going to get somebody's attention and they're going to be like, I don't do that, so it must be wrong. My Lord, have mercy. It's quiet here. I'm sorry, this is the way I preach when I come off the mission field. I told you, I apologize. No, I don't. If you decide to become an extravagant worshiper, you will be criticized for it. Ask David when he brought on the the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And he worshiped and danced with all his might, everything in him. As he danced before the Lord and they brought that in. And his wife looked out from the, uh, the window and criticized him for it. And God judged her. Because that's serious. Let's skip to verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, which was Passover, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now, real quickly, Hosanna, if you want to write this down, Hosanna means save us, save us now. Say that with me. Save us Save us now. Say it again. Save us. Save us now. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, For fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and he had been done to him. He was answering and fulfilling prophecy from the Old Testament. 
These things had been written hundreds of years before, and now they were happening. Verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. What that means is there was about 500 people that witnessed him talk uh, raise Lazarus from the dead. And so they didn't do anything but just keep talking. Wouldn't you like tell everybody about that? You got to see this dude. He raised a guy from the, I saw it with my own eye. So they just kept talking about this thing that had happened. And then all these Jews come in from out of the country for Passover and they tell them everybody is buzzing about it. And then we get verse 18. Get this. You've got to hear this. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. I want you to read verse 18 with me. The reason why the crowd went to meet him, let's start again, everybody read. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this thing, this sign. In other words, the crowd was there. The crowd was lining the streets, waving palm branches, crying Hosanna, worshiping because Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Very quickly, I want to talk about three types of worshipers that are represented in this story. If you take notes, this is where you can begin. Three types of worshipers represented in our story. Number one, the casual worshiper. The casual worshiper. Judas was a disciple of Jesus. But he was going through the motions. He never committed fully. He never gave his heart fully to God. Mary's worship made him uncomfortable. Mary's extravagant worship offended the mediocrity in his heart. Did you, let, me, let me say it again. I didn't put it on the, on the screen. Mary's extravagance in her worship offended the mediocrity in his heart. If there is anything that I see at fault, and I see, I've seen worship all over the world, can I just call it like it is? Our worship is mediocre. I don't think we mean for it to be. Come on, I'm not being judgmental. Understand, this is, this is an evaluation day. This is a preparation day. Sometimes it's hard. This is kind of like... This is kind of like halftime when we're down by three touchdowns. You get it? You guys get that? This is like I'm the coach. I'm the coach. Hello. Listen, I want you to focus and get this. It's like I'm the coach at halftime. We're down three touchdowns. Okay, that's what this is like. Okay, I want us to win. And so we're going to be honest. Our worship is too often casual. We don't mean for it to be. It just is. Judas's heart was offended by Mary's extravagancy in her worship. Again, this is not meant to be judgmental today. This is meant to be, we're going to evaluate. Listen, listen, listen. What kind of worshiper am I? What kind of worshiper do I want to become? Come on. What kind of worshiper am I willing to become? Hallelujah. Number two, the second type of of worshiper is the crowd worshiper. The crowd worshiper. The crowd worshiper does whatever the crowd does. 
If the crowd is waving palm branches, they wave palm branches. If the crowd is worshiping, they worship. If the crowd has a t-shirt that says Jesus is Lord, they wear a t-shirt that says Jesus is... If the crowd has a bumper sticker that says honk if you love Jesus, they have a bumper sticker that says honk if you love... If the crowd is excited, they are excited. But if the crowd gets spiritually dry and, and doesn't do anything, they don't do anything. And if the crowd shifts from crying Hosanna to crucify them, guess what happens? Do you remember why they were there? Who remembers? Why did they line the streets? Because Jesus had what? Raised Lazarus from the dead. The crowd was there, listen, because they thought maybe this is the guy who's going to rescue us from Rome. Maybe this is the guy who's going to turn everything and make life better for us. The crowd was there because of what Jesus might do for them. The crowd was there worshiping because of what Jesus might do for them. If you don't get anything else, get this. If we worship Jesus because of what he can do for us, what happens when he doesn't do it like we think he should? What happens when it doesn't turn out like we think it should turn out? I'll tell you what happens. Our outward worship will cease. And the inward turmoil and confusion and disillusionment will begin. The outward worship will cease. And the inward confusion will begin and soon our cries of Hosanna will turn to crucify him. You don't think so? Oh, yes. Their motivation for worship was on themselves, not on Jesus. It was about what he could do for them. Look at the screen. The crowd worshiper follows after the whims of culture instead of the heart of Christ. The crowd worshiper follows after the whims of culture, which, by the way, change and shift every single day. And not the heart of Christ, because the heart of Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Number three, go ahead. Go ahead. The third type of worshiper, you know where I'm going, is the extravagant worshiper. Mary poured everything out. She held nothing back. Her worship cost her something. She worshiped from a place of sacrifice and intimacy with a focus on Christ. Her worship was not casual. It was not normal. It was not selfish. It was extravagant. Here's the big idea this morning. Extravagant worship is not about what Jesus can do, but about who he is. Oh, come on, don't patty cake. You either believe it or you don't. Come on, who's with me this morning? Extravagant worship is not about 
what he can do, but about who he is. Now listen, I don't know about you, I'm not there yet. Anybody in my boat today? I'm not there yet, but I'm going to be. I'm on a journey, folks, and I'm going to be intentional about it. I'm going to practice extravagance in my worship. I'm not going to worry about what you think anymore. I'm not going to worry about the person to my right or to my left. I'm going to give it everything, and I'm going to give it everything every time. Come on, somebody. What would a church look like that is full of extravagant worshipers who don't care about what somebody says but just wants to lift up the name of Jesus? Well, praise God. If he never heals me again. If he never does anything again for me. If I have to give my life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is still the king of glory. He is still Jesus. He is still my savior. He is still my Lord. And he is worthy of my best offering.